You're listening to Life Repurposed with Michelle Rayburn, where you'll find uplifting and practical advice for everyday living, creative inspiration for do-it-yourself projects, and recommendations for books and resources that will encourage you to embrace your life repurposed. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn. This is episode number 29 of Life Repurposed. And this week I'm going to be talking about how sometimes it's best when you say nothing at all. You've probably noticed that there is a lot of heavy conversation around us these days on social media, at the coffee shop, when we're with our friends and when we're with our family. And more than any time in my life, I see division because we have this ability to discuss current events with hundreds of people every day. Do you remember a time ever in your world, if you're closer to my age, I'm 50, do you ever remember a time in your world when your conversations were contained to the people you saw at home and work every day? I remember when it was the few people I saw at work, the family I saw at home, and friends I might have seen out to dinner at church. And social media has opened up an opportunity to have a public forum discussion on a daily basis. I've noted that even among people of similar faith, there can be vast differences in opinions about what is right or wrong. And now we're hashing these out in a public forum. So my conversation today is going to be focused a lot on social media, but I have seen the strong opinions from social media often seep now into our face-to-face conversations. I don't know if you've noticed that, but Um, We might bring up something we saw on a post or a story we saw in the news, and someone might presume we share their point of view, because in some circles, especially in the Christian circles I'm in, it's assumed that you are a member of a certain political party, and uh, that sort of diversity, if you're not on the same page, can cause some conflict. So there have been times where I might bring something up or someone else might, and it's assumed that we're on the same page. And then suddenly with this really simple statement, a potential argument pops up because we it, it's like the silence on the other end of the conversation helps us to realize, okay, maybe we're not on the same page. Because if that person doesn't jump in right away and say, me too, then you probably aren't on the same page. So this episode may sound a little bit like a soapbox episode, and that's not my intent. I just feel it's important for us to consider our own actions and what we convey through them, and especially in conversation. So one of my concerns is that we might dehumanize our comments on social media posts and just fire off a reply without really thinking that there might be another person on the other end of the screen. And this is something that isn't new. Obviously, letters have been written for hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands of years. And there have been times where someone has written a letter, stuck that stamp on there, mailed it out, and not really thought about the other person on the other end who's receiving it. So I I understand that's not necessarily a new thing. I think we just have faster access to it now. And so we can fire off our opinions much quicker and in a short statement rather than in a longer letter that we thoughtfully wrote out by hand and really consider the feelings of the other person. So those feelings of the other person are so important because our response can damage our relationship if we aren't considering them as a human being. I believe too often this happens in personal conversation as well as on social media. Really, I think we say the first thing that comes to mind and we try to argue and prove a point. We want to be right and I've caught myself mistakenly believing that I can somehow change someone's mind 
And I also love to be right, just for the record. Uh, ask my husband. He says I should have been an attorney because I argue so well. So um, we, we do. It's just our natural tendency, I think, to want to be right. So we will send news articles and persuasive pieces, and we might mail books to people or share links, all in a desperate effort to change someone else's mind. And part of my encouragement for us to learn to say nothing at all is because we lose something and we lose real connection when our whole goal is to change people's minds. We lose the human connection that says it's okay for us to have some differences. The real challenge for all of us, I think, is for us to learn that we often don't have to say anything at all. <laughs> the quickest way to diffuse a conflict is to let it go. It's hard. It might eat at us. We might think about it later. We might even question, do I want to be in a friendship with this person? And I'm trying to teach myself that that is not the way real friendships go. And so we can disagree. And I think we can discover life repurposed, really, because that's my whole, that's the central theme of what I write and what I speak about is how we can find a new purpose when we look for something other than pushing our opinion and instead when we care about building true relationships. So let's talk a little bit more about how we can learn to say nothing at all. There are many places where our impulses are tested, and I believe these can affect our relationships with others. So it isn't just social media, like I mentioned. Social media is one place. A comment is one. A text message is another. It's so easy to just send off a quick text message. I've caught myself doing it and not really thinking. I'm in a hurry. I need to answer quick, and I don't think about the tone. Uh, email is another one. Email's been around for a long time, but email is one where we might send off a reply and it can affect a relationship when we don't think about what we send. And then a verbal comment that riles us up. Obviously, in a face-to-face -face conversation, we can see the reaction of the other person. So it's really hard to hide our emotions when we're having a conversation. But I respect someone who I can see the emotion on their face but the words that come out of their mouth don't really match what's on their face. And I don't feel like they're being ingenuine. I really feel like it shows self-control because they're, they're thinking, they're thoughtfully processing, and then not just saying the first thing that comes to mind. So in the how of this, how we can learn to say nothing at all, I think we need to shift our focus away from viewpoints and toward relationships. And these are some action steps that I think could change the outcome. So first, when I find myself in that moment of like, I want to say something quick, I want to uh, fire off a reply that gives my opinion, that tries to change someone's mind or that simply argues, the first thing I need to do is remind myself I don't need to be right. It's okay if I think they're wrong. It's also very possible that they aren't wrong. And so I need to consider all of that and remind myself that I don't need to be right. And also I'm not necessarily right. The other thing that I think helps change the outcome is reminding myself that I can't change someone's mind, most likely. It's, it's rare. It doesn't happen very often. So the question I ask in that moment is, what is my motive here? Why do I need to make a comment? What is exactly coming from within inside of me 
that makes me think I have to say something right now. And that motive, uh, that there's some self-awareness that has to be there in place to really understand that. But that that's a good question to ask. Um, the other thing I can ask is, what does it feel like to be in their shoes? I don't know this exactly. And I, I know it's presumptive. And sometimes um, I know there are people who get really annoyed when we even try to feel like what it's like to be in their shoes. And I want us to think about this in a really genuine way. Not like I'm thinking about what it's like to be in their shoes. So I say to them, you must feel this way. Or I know how you feel. No, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm really talking about like, considering all the different angles that may have motivated the statement they just made. Of course, when I'm talking to someone face-to-face, I don't have the time to sit and really think through all those angles. But the one thing that helps me then, if I don't have the time to process all that, is to assume the best. To assume that they were not trying to personally attack me and that they still want to have a relationship with me. And that just helps me to... Uh, temper and filter my response. The other thing that I have found to be important is to assume the other person's intelligence. I acknowledge that this person is smart and that they have weighed out their opinions, that they have made an intelligent decision about their point of view. So when they share something, even if they're giving me medical advice that I don't want, or they're telling me how to parent my kids and I don't want that, whatever it is, I assume that they are basing their speech, their opinion on an intelligent point of view, even if it isn't the same as mine. And the other thing that I found is important is celebrating the differences instead of attacking them. Marveling at the idea that we could be on opposite political spectrums and still be good friends is an amazing thing. So celebrating that instead of attacking and feeling like all of my friends have to align with my point of view is really helpful for me. I'm recording this during an election year, so if you're listening to this after the election has passed sometime later this fall, uh, I have a feeling some of these things are still going to be around, but I know that during an election year, we have more than the average number of opportunities to practice saying nothing at all or saying something that's carefully worded. There will be some very smart people in this election year who don't agree with us, and they probably never will. I suggest that we choose some personal policies so that we can be prepared ahead for how we will react. And those policies are qualities that we develop that we use as a filter for our conversation and a filter for what comes out of our mouth. So in order to hold our tongue, we have to learn to pause before we speak. These are some qualities that I'm personally working on myself as I'm trying to teach myself that it's okay to say nothing at all. The first quality is humility. I assume that I might not know it all. Hmm, there's a novel thing for me. Assuming I might not be right. Uh, I have to set aside my ego. And it also has to do with our motive. So when I'm motivated by ego, I'm tempted to make myself look good at the expense of someone else. And humility says, I don't need to make myself look good at this other person's expense. I'm just going to assume the best here. The other quality that I have worked on developing and is still in progress is gentleness. This means carefully wording my reply. 
If it's verbal, I have to choose my words even more carefully because I cannot delete them before I hit post. So it's really important to carefully and gently word something. And if it's a written response, I just need to slow down before firing off my reply and read it a few times and see what kind of tone does this reply have. Another thing that I'm working on developing is kindness. This means treating someone how I would want to be treated myself. This means filtering my words to see if they sound kind. Another one is empathy. I alluded to this one just a few moments ago. Uh, truly feeling for another person. And we don't always speculate correctly, but I think even a feeble attempt at seeing it from their perspective helps us to settle our own desire to fight. So, for example, if I assume that this a, a person asks me something because they're questioning, say, my faith, uh, having no empathy for them would mean I'm immediately defensive and feel like they are attacking me. But if I have empathy, I might consider some questions that may or may not be true of how they're feeling. So I do, it's, this is not really about assuming anything. Empathy is never about assuming we know how somebody feels. It really is about looking at some possibilities of where they might be coming from and standing in their shoes, if I can picture that. So I might think, okay, they're asking me this question. Maybe they're not attacking me. Maybe they're seeking Maybe they're looking for answers and questioning their own beliefs and they are just seeking and trying to get some reactions from people. And in some ways that could be a test to see, am I going to prove the very point that they're arguing? Like maybe they're trying to argue that um, all Christians are judgmental. If I respond in exactly that same way, I just prove their point. So if I try to stop and pull back and, and step into empathy, I might think, well, why does somebody assume that all Christians are judgmental? How much of this have they experienced in their life? And could it be that they've experienced more than the average amount of this and they have a right to ask this question? And even if that isn't the case, like I said, even if I'm assuming all wrong, I'm not making those assumptions. I use the word assume there, but really what I'm saying is let's not assume. Let's just consider it as a possibility. Another thing that I've worked on developing is sensitivity. Christians will have opposite points of view. Non-Christians have their own point of view. Uh, people who were uh, connected to faith at one point and now no longer have a connection, they don't, they aren't really, uh, their worldview has changed. Everyone has a different point of view. And some of those points of view will be politically opposite of me. And I want to be sensitive and not assume what someone else thinks. I want to be sensitive to the fact that I see hurt or emotion on their face or I hear it in the tone of their email. And I want to pick up on that so that when I communicate, if I need to say anything at all, that it is motivated from the right place. And finally, that leads me exactly into the ultimate underlying quality that makes such a difference in our communication, and that is love. When we truly love people, it will change us. It will change how we're motivated and what we will say. So all of these qualities that I've mentioned, these are just some. These are not an exhaustive list. Humility, gentleness, kindness, empathy, sensitivity, love. You'll see some of those are even borrowed from uh, the Bible in what's called the fruit of the Spirit, a list of qualities that we're, we're to demonstrate when we are believers in Jesus. Um, but all of these require self-control, which is also another fruit of the Spirit where 
We learn how to control our own behaviors and our words. So am I perfect? No, (laughs) absolutely not. I am a work in progress and I am here behind the microphone to talk to you, uh, really to be real and to tell you that there have been times I would have been better off locked up in my room at home until I could come out and play nice. You know, like if my mom had been here, that would have been really helpful. Uh, But I can't go back. And there is no DeLorean in my life that can take me back to the back to the future where I can control my mouth and say nothing. So I have to keep practicing and just consider that I have made mistakes and I know you've made mistakes and uh, we're just all a work in progress learning how to be better humans. That's really what it's about. So sometimes when we say nothing at all, it is the most beautiful thing ever. Let's look at a couple of resources before we wrap up. Instead of a book this time, I'm going to share a sermon series with you. And I won't spend long talking about it, but I will link to it in the show notes. And you will find those at michellerayburn.com slash 29. I put all of this into an article there for you and include links if I talk about them. So I said I was going to share a sermon series. One of the thing that, uh, things that often happens, especially during an election year, is we divide people into two political party categories and then we stake our own life, really. I mean, like we will stake our life on our own beliefs. And there are assumptions about others and hurtful comments that come through. And that's why this is on my mind right now because it's just so much political stuff floating around in conversations and um, on the internet and everything. So a sermon series that I recently listened to online helped me to think about my own views and whether my own actions and words aligned more with Jesus and his love or whether I was filtering and warping my understanding through a political point of view. And this is a sermon series from Pastor Andy Stanley, and it really helped me examine my heart. So I'm going to link to the podcast version and the YouTube version. It's called Talking Points, and it's three parts. Jesus' take on politics, how Christians should approach politics, and what is the role of church in politics. And if nothing else, for me, the takeaway is learning how to have better conversations. It's not, this is really like, a sermon that is not about changing your political point of view. It's about changing your Christian point of view and how you treat people. So I'm going to give you links to those and you'll find the episodes on the North Point Community Church if you're looking for the podcast and just look for the series called Talking Points. So that's all I have for today. Uh, Go out there and see if you can say less. You've been listening to Life Repurposed with Michelle Rayburn. Check out tips, resources, and inspiration at michellerayburn.com. I'd love it if you would subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or Spotify. I'd also love it if you would like, review, and share the information about this podcast with your friends. Thank you so much for listening.